Hello, and welcome to Compass Church. If you have any questions about this message or are interested in learning more, please contact us. We'd love the opportunity to connect. Now, enjoy today's message. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter. Uh, Opening the Word of God is a precious thing, an important thing, a holy thing, because of the value and power of the Word of God. And so... Uh, sometimes we get comfortable in looking at the scripture, but I hope that today we're reminded of how important the scripture is and how powerful and how it brings life into us. And so uh, I'm looking forward to our study together. We're in uh, chapter 1, verse 22. And we're going to be going to chapter 2, verse 3. But actually, the section runs a little longer. Chapter 1, verse 22, through chapter 2, verse 10. It's not, off, it's not really marked out in our Bibles. You know how usually there's headings and categories, uh, maybe paragraph breaks. and uh, They didn't mark this section out. So I want to give us a little context around this section of scripture. First, we have been studying 1 Peter and looking at the, you know, the first 20 verses, 21 verses, and that has been kind of focused on the wonder and the glory of salvation. The fact that we're born again and that we're brought into a living hope. And that the flow of God's salvation through the Old Testament is coming down to creating for himself a people of God. And we're part of what God is doing in the hearts of people, in the lives of people, in redeeming and restoring a people for himself. That's what's the first part. Then if you look in chapter 2 at verse 11... You see there's a clear break and a clear heading. And it's something like about our conduct as God's people before an unbelieving world. How we, how we live even when we're wrongfully accused. He, Peter is going to encourage the Christians in this first century and therefore us. That even when we're wrongfully accused we must represent Christ in those situations. So he spends a lot of time talking about what happens, what we look like to the world around us. But the section between there, if you think about those two topics, our individual conversion to Christ and our witness to the world, is there another building block, another support for us that is necessary Besides just our salvation and our living in the world? I would say there is. And it's what should have been highlighted in our Bibles that isn't. But I'm going to try to make a case for you that there is another topic sandwiched in between those two. And it has to do with our relationship together. Our family life together. And what God does and how he supports us, how he encourages us as a church together to be the witness to the world. And that we can't do that just by ourselves. There is no such thing as Lone Ranger Christians. 
We are saved and brought into God's grace through Christ. And we are placed into a community, a fellowship, a body of believers. Now, you might say, well, how do I know that this is talking about a family relationship? Look, look at verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other. Sincere love for each other. It's a, the original word there is Philadelphia. And we've all heard of the word, uh, you know, they talk about Philadelphia being the city of brotherly love. It is the word of brotherly love. And even the ESV translates it brotherly love. So as we have purified ourselves, been committed and Obeying the word of the gospel, we are sincerely brought into brotherly love. And some lexicons would say brotherly, that's sisterly. It's, it's really the word for family relationship, for community, for sharing life and love together. And whenever you talk about brothers and sisters, you may be talking about family relationships, right? But if you look in chapter 2, verse 2, like newborn babes crave pure spiritual milk. So we got brothers and sisters and babes, you know, we're probably, we are talking about family relationship, how we live together, how we behave together. And that is a building block to our salvation. Our salvation is not separated from who we are as believers together. It essentially hangs together. And one of the ways that we see that this is true is I'd like to read a letter as we open about the church. Written some 80 years ago by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Now, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a famous theologian between World War I and World War II. And even though he was a theologian, he became a Christian. He was put to death in one of Hitler's prisons just before the fall of Germany. But his letters, many of his letters survived. And I want to read a bit of one to you, written to his girlfriend, Elizabeth Zinn, in January 1936. It shows the influence of the Word of God on someone who taught theology and yet was not a Christian. Listen to his words. I threw myself into work with a very arrogant and crazy ambition which some people have noticed in me and it made life difficult for me because it robbed me of love and confidence from my fellow human being, my fellows. At the time, I was terribly alone. Then something else happened, something that has changed and transformed my life to the present day. I discovered the Bible for the first time. This is a bit ironic. He was a a theological professor. I have preached often, spoke about it, written about the scriptures, and yet I have not yet become, I had not yet become a Christian. In a wild and uncontrolled way, I was still my own master. I know that at that time, I used the cause of Christ for my own advantage and my crazy vanity. I pray to God that never happens again. 
Moreover, I had hardly ever prayed myself. But despite all this loneliness, I was quite pleased with myself. But the Bible, especially the Sermon on the Mount, freed me from this because in reading it, everything has changed. I felt that plainly, and other people around me saw it. It was a great liberation. It became clear to me. Great liberation is what we would call conversion. That's when he came to realize the truth of Christ behind the scriptures. And it became clear to me that the life of a servant of Jesus Christ must belong to the church. Must, in other words, belong to the people of God. uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer realized that his conversion to Christ also, right along with it, placed him inside the fellowship of the people of God. And that they were inextricably woven together. And for us as believers, we must believe that we, our lives, are inextricably woven together as the people of God. So we think about Dietrich Bonhoeffer's life, the rest of his short life, he gave himself to the people of God in Germany. And probably the most difficult years the church ever, ever experienced in the land of Germany. This is what Peter's talking about in this passage. The importance of belonging to the people of God. And how as converted believers in Jesus Christ and made new, we are simultaneously placed inside the body of Christ. And this must drive who we are. So the church will always be feeble. Until we realize that our conversion to Christ is important and paramount. But coupled with that is our unity with one another in the church. And if we continue to miss that point, we will never be able to do what Peter encourages us to do in chapter 2, verses 11 and following, to stand as a witness and a testimony and a light to the world around us. So that's the point that we're going to flesh out as we look at this passage this morning. Let's read 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 through 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 3. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that we preach to you. Therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babes crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. In this passage we encounter four essentials of a healthy church body, of family life together. 
The first two essentials speak to the internal reality. And I'm trying to help us decipher the differences because Peter kind of raises similar questions or similar teaching points together. I think the first two talk about the internal reality of the gospel. And then the, the, the third and fourth in chapter 2, talk about our behavior and how we live that out. So first, we see four essentials that I think we must grab from this passage. First, essential number one, believers must press in upon love from the heart. Peter is commending them in, in, in verse 22. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love, there's a recognition by Peter that he's writing to these early Christians who have actually kind of appropriated the truths of the gospel for themselves. They're they're living and breathing and, and obeying the message of the gospel. And this is, of course, you can see back in chapter uh, 1, verse 2, where the work of God the Trinity, uh, God the Father foreknowing us, and then the sanctifying work of the Spirit to the obedience to Jesus Christ. The, the culmination of the gospel is that we learn that we have life from Christ, that we receive power from Christ, that God is at work in our hearts and lives, and that therefore we are obedient to the gospel. We are following the words of Christ. In verse 14, as obedient children do not conform to these evil desires of the world. There is this expectation that obedience is part of our responsibility as believers. We've been made new to reflect who Jesus is and the purity and righteousness of God in all that we do. And we do that by how we live, how we believe, how we think. How we respond. And therefore Peter is recognizing that these believers have purified themselves. They're walking in the truth. They're obeying. And they're giving sincere love to one another. But then it's interesting that he says, And have sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. Peter is saying, you have done well. You are following Christ and you are loving one another. Now, increase in that. Deepen that love. Magnify that love. It reminds me uh, very much of uh, Philippians chapter 1 verse 9. When, when Paul is encouraging the Philippians, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in the depth of insight. There is this expectation on believers as followers of Christ that the profound love of the gospel will continue to transform and, and make our lives radical demonstrations of the love of God. For God is love and he wants to reveal his heart and his love to the world and we are to be the conduits of that. Too many times we think of this obedience and believing in Jesus is just kind of a, a transaction. 
that we believe in Jesus. He gives us forgiveness of sins. We get eternal life, and, and now we're just waiting for that eternal life one day when he'll return, and we should, we should honor him. We should, you know, give reverence to him. We should go to worship and give of our money, but we're just kind of in this waiting mode when that's not the case at all. The case is, is that we become believers... And as we become believers, we become followers of Jesus so that we are representatives, images of who Jesus is in every way, in everything we do, in our love, in our grace, in our service, in our compassion. We demonstrate who Jesus is. He lives his life through us. And therefore, Paul can say to the church of Philippians, I know that you have been loving, but abound more and more in love. Paul, uh, Peter can say that you've purified yourselves, you're obeying the truth, and you're showing sincere love with one another. But the command is, love one another deeply from the heart. Continue to grow in that love. Continue to experience how you can live in that love towards one another. This is the kind of change and transformation that should be happening happening as we think about the call to love we might think well how do I get that how do I live fervent love how do I live with intensity in my love how do I make that happen it's not a matter of just deciding we can't just decide to be more loving There is a transaction, there is a a fountain of love that comes out of our relationship with Christ. Let me tell you a story about a college student, and maybe this can help us understand this. This college student in Chicagoland who fought in the Vietnam War. And as the Vietnam War was coming to a close, there were certainly many, many military people coming back to the States And they were either trying to find jobs or they had uh, college uh, paid for and they could take college opportunities. And this student went to Judson College in Chicagoland. But in coming back to the States, he was struggling with, you know, the transition, the change of context and the challenges of life in Vietnam and now coming to the States and not being all that popular. He was having a hard time even with friends at the college. But one thing that was kind of known about him, that everybody on campus recognized about him, is that the Fox River went through Judson College property, and he would go out to the river every day. And he'd go out to the river and take care of this uh, herd of ducks. Even when it got bitterly cold and the ducks you know, stuck around, he would go out there, bring food, he would break the ice, pull out ice from areas in the river so that the ducks could have a place to live and survive through the winter. He met with them every day to take, make sure that they were doing all right. And when the story came about that explained why he was doing it, everyone understood more about the young man. You see, he had returned from Vietnam, and in his story, ducks saved his life. His unit was ambushed, and many of his friends were 
killed on the field in Vietnam. And while he hadn't been shot, he laid down to look like he had. He hoped that the Viet Cong would go away, that there was only a small army that were were tracking them down. But as he laid there, more and more military men came, came over him. And as they were walking through the field and he was laying there, they were stopping at every body that was laying there and shooting to make sure that each uh, serviceman was dead. As they came closer and closer to him, all of a sudden there was this gigantic flock of ducks that came onto the field. And all of a sudden all the military guys got this, this, you know, distracted and they were taking shots at the ducks and trying to hit the ducks and trying to collect the ducks that they shot and they totally forgot to continue on in shooting the people that were dead to make sure the servicemen were dead and he was laying there and they went on and he was able to escape and he came home and ever since then he has loved ducks because of course he's alive because of those ducks well as Peter draws this truth before us as Peter has been building his case and talking about how we have been redeemed, how we have been saved and the living hope that we have been given. You can't hardly help but think of the great sacrifice that Jesus Christ gave for each and every one of us so that we could stand in this wonderful salvation. And as we look at this passage and we think about our lives and where we get the motivation to give of ourselves to our brothers and sisters in the church, all we have to do is look at our Savior and see what He gave so that we might be placed into the people of God. See what He gave as He walked to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, to open the the possibility of forgiveness and new life. And his longing for us is to be saved and cleansed and brought into a relationship with God. And then at the same time, to put us into a relationship with one another in his church, with his people. And Peter's fully aware of that great gift. That living hope. And he is saying to those early believers, and he's saying to us, You have loved well. You are obeying Jesus. You are living for Christ and loving your brethren now. Love more deeply from the heart. Now, as I think about that, I think, well, I know that I'm not perfect at that. I know that I miss the mark. And I think we have to all admit that we miss the mark. But the wonderful news of the gospel is that God is doing something in our hearts and that God is the one who is the great reservoir of love. And that that we never encounter a situation in our lives where we cannot ask God out of His abundance to pour His love into our hearts so that we might love more deeply from the heart. And isn't that what Peter's longing for? Because as we recognize our salvation in Christ and that he's, he achieved it, he bore it, he, 
He saved us by his sacrifice. He also placed us into a loving community so that what he's looking towards is our witness before the world. So our call, our our first essential, is that we as believers must press in upon love from the heart for one another in God's family. Essential number two is believers must let the word of God change us in the heart. It is fascinating and interesting that Peter... um, Peter um, makes this transition. Listen again to verse 22 and 23. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. So Peter here is recognizing this twofold kind of uh, work of God on our hearts. First, the love that we've received and the love that we've received in the Gospels helps us to love one another. And then, not only are we born again so that we can love one another, but the preciousness of the seed, the Word of God, we must be open to the Word of God that can change us in our hearts. You know, sometimes we think of so many things that could make a church vibrant and make a church alive. But I think one of the most important things that a church should be known for is its love for the Scriptures. And that the people of the church know the power of the Scriptures. And that we come together as humble, needy people Looking for God's word to speak into our lives. And I love that, that Peter uses it as not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed. It is the seed of the word of God. It is the seed that can come into our lives and change us from the inside. It can aliven and awaken in us new desires, new hopes, new dreams, new confidences in the gospel. And it is that seed that we need. It is at the heart of what we are as Christians. Uh, you know, that I've often heard, uh, I've heard a couple of times from people like, I don't want to, uh, before they became Christians, I don't want to become one of those Christians because all they're ever doing is reading the Bible and listening to sermons. I just don't understand that. That just seems so boring. But if you're a believer and you understand the grace of God in Jesus Christ, you understand the power of the Word of God, there have been many times I've been driven to tears And just reading the scripture and realizing the profound nature. This is not a a systematic book. This is not an academic book that we should just analyze and systematize and, and break down. This is the living word of God. It is the seed that will bring life inside our hearts. It will transform and change us. And therefore we need to come to the scriptures. With a hunger and a thirst and and an understanding of the power of the Word of God. And it is so powerful that 
Peter will quote from Isaiah 40, all people are like grass, all their glory is like the flowers of the field, the grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. It is like the seed of an oak tree. Seems small and insignificant. But you plant that seed in the right place and something glorious, a gigantic oak tree, can come about. Well, in the same way, it can seem like a small thing. And we can be kind of dismissive of the Word of God. We can be casual in our reading and our hearing of the Word of God. But let me tell you, there is power in this Scripture. And Paul, and Peter, is telling the church that you are to hunger and thirst, to seek to live and let the life of that Word that endures forever come to life in you. That is the mark of a believer. Now let me take us into the next, the third step. Remember I said there's two that talk about the internal experience. Then there's two that talk about the behavior. And in chapter 2 we're really entering into the behavior. But it's kind of referring back to that call to love. So verse two, verse one of chapter two, therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. I see here, essential number three, believers must behave in the family according to the love command, the command to love. And this is the external. The picture is of the Christian life, one of growth, which impacts everything we do and everything that we are. And the command to love from verse 22 can only exist when the opposing practices and attributes are removed from our life. It's a complementary command. He's calling for deep love within the church, but right alongside that deep love, he's putting feet on it and our behavior and our attitudes and our actions. And he's saying, get rid of malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy. These things run contrary to the life of faith. I got a little mixed up there, sorry. (laughs) So therefore, they, the first century believers, and we are to get rid of these things that destroy love. And as we think, it reminds us of Colossians where Paul is telling them to put on, to put off the deeds of the flesh and to put on the things of the spirit. Here, Peter is saying, rid yourselves of malice. Malice is anger and a desire to hurt. And malice has this kind of idea of looking like you're really doing a good thing when in actuality you're doing a hurtful thing. Or deceit. Deceit is that idea of deliberately attempting to mislead people. And after malice and deceit comes hypocrisy. You can see how all of these are a little insidious in that they're kind of like ideas of, of kind of coming off as looking one way when in actuality 
you're trying to do something else. Hypocrisy, putting on another face. Trying to satisfy your own selfish desires, your own goals, your own longings, while looking as if you have somebody else's goals, some bigger longings and bigger desires in play. After hypocrisy comes envy. And envy is that longing for what other people have. There isn't much that we need to say about that. We know what envy is. It's all over. And finally, slander. Slander means literally taking down another person by your words. Peter mentions that Christians in the first century were treated this way by their enemies in chapter 3 verse 16 and therefore it's all the more important that Christians themselves should avoid slander all of these qualities interfere with the activity of love and and sometimes I think we think of Christianity as just kind of our internal responses But I'm beginning to believe, and it's taken me a long time, I'm 58 years old. I'm beginning to believe that there are many things in our lives, kind of the way that we respond, the way that we live, my natural responses in my body, in my flesh. I can kind of think, well, I'm a spiritual attitude, trying to be connected with God. But that connection must flow out into everything I do in my body, in my responses, in how I live. And what Peter is highlighting here is the contradiction between loving one another from the heart while at the same time having bitterness and anger and envy and slander going on in the midst of the church. That's a contradiction that should not be. If we look at these words, we can draw a different picture of what love should be. Love does not act with spite. It seeks the good of the other person. Love does not practice cunning or act at wearing a mask for selfish motives. It is honest and open-handed in its dealings. Love does not desire to be better than other people or to destroy other people's reputations. It rejoices in the success of others and is glad to give them praise and commendation without any recognition of yourself. Growth in love is impossible without getting rid of these things. And so I see here the command of love as an internal thing, understanding the great sacrifice that God has given so that we might have life. And that's the motivation for love. But then, not only in the inner motivation, we must look at our behavior and say, is our behavior lining up with that great call to love? That's necessary for the family to be together and to live together. Peter knows how contrary they are to live the life of love. How contrary these characteristics are to living the life of love. Essential number four is believers must display a hunger for the word because in it we grow into salvation. And it's a simple picture, but verse 2 and 3, like newborn babes crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow in your salvation. 
now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Growth as a Christian is impossible without nourishment. Peter wants to remind us that one of the key aspects of being a family together is is being nourished together by the Word of God. And it's not that we should come together and read the Scriptures and study the Scriptures as if that's, that's something good for you. You know, like when your mom says, you know, make sure you eat that stuff because it is good for you. That's not what, what Peter's expecting. He says, look at, crave pure spiritual milk. It's like when kids first learn about ice cream. <laughs> Give me some of that. I want more. That's what the church should be. Coming to the Word of God, I want more. I need more. Life comes from that. And I love that like newborn babes. Because you know that newborn babes, they don't, they don't know how to interact with their environment very well. They can't tell you what they want or anything like that. But the one thing they're good at is when they're hungry, they let you know. And you're not going to shut them up till you feed them. Oh, would it be a joy to the Lord Jesus... To see his church hungry. And they couldn't shut them up till they are fed. So we should crave the, the word of God. Christians should show this kind of eager desire for spiritual food. As a Christian community and a family together. We should display a longing and a hunger for God's word. That impacts everything we are and everything we do. We should be a community Created by the word. A community directed by the word. A community nourished by the word. A community shaped by the word of God. The church in the world has tasted. We have tasted. Now that you have tasted, verse 3, have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Live your life according to the revelation of the word. What kind of hunger for God's word are we displaying? This paragraph in Peter shows us the family of God, what we're called to be, to love one another. It calls us to hunger after the word of God and by it to grow up into this salvation. The question we need to ask is, are we reflecting these great truths in our church? And are we pursuing what we should be? May God enliven us. Peter's not calling for human effort and a a determination on the part of the believers. Peter's calling for a realization, a revelation of the riches of God. And has been given to us. And oh that we would respond to them. Because they are powerful. They are enlivening. They will transform. As we receive them. As they were meant to be. May we. Be a church. That honors God. In our love and fellowship. And devotion to his word. Let's pray together. Dear God, we praise you for your word. We thank you for your love. And as your children, we pray that we might grow in both 
your love and in your truth that we might demonstrate your grace in our lives. May the revelation of Jesus Christ be real through us. And may we as people called out of the world and made your people, may we bring honor and praise to Jesus. May the world that is broken all around us see in this church and in our lives and our devotion to one another the truth of the gospel. Jesus is alive and well and he changes people and he gives life and he gives purpose and he gives meaning and he gives love. May we be your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.